Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Welcome to Sunrise. We're going to start A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Uh, it's the foundation of what we call a three, four, five triangle. What you want to do, don't check out. I know some of the high schoolers are like, no, no, no. Send me back to children's ministry. I'm not doing any math. I'm not putting any numbers. No square roots. No, that's not what we're doing. I promise I will get to why this is here. Okay, uh, Sunday, today is going to be a little different than normal, and I will get to this, okay? So if this is a distraction for you, you can't pay attention the whole time because it's up here, there's medication for that, okay? Just, just know that. No, I, I will get to this, I promise. And before we even get to the message, I just got to tell you some really, really exciting news for our Sunrise family, and that's this. And I told you two weeks ago that we, had, we were in a process of bringing somebody else on to the, our pastoral staff team, that we had Pastor Jay and we had Pastor Shane both moved on in a great careers. Uh, Pastor Jay is leading a church right now, and Pastor Shane has moved on and is a biblical counselor. He still has an office on our property here. Great guy. Since those moves, we've been looking and thinking and praying about, God, do you want us to add somebody on to the team? And we uh, felt like there was a priority to really focus on family ministries, so from birth all the way to young adults. We have great, great people working in those departments. Eliza is doing a great job with our kids. Jacob's doing a great job uh, with our students. And we want to provide them more training so they could grow and just become even better than they already are. And also we want to see a young adults kind of um, ministry grow. And so we want to get this nice cohesive kind of alignment from birth all the way to young adults. And so... We've started the process, and we've been in the process, not started, for, we've been in it for about four months to find an executive pastor of family ministries. And I told you that we were narrowing that down. We narrowed it down to one candidate. We made an offer to that candidate, and just about a week ago, they accepted uh, that offer. And they will be starting next week. Uh, so already jumping into the fire, I mean... That's not the right word, right? Already jumping in. We're very, very excited. So you want to be here definitely next Sunday because we're going to announce who that is. I thought about telling you that and then not telling you the name and see if you would just go around during the greeting time and be like, are you the new guy? Are you the new guy? <laughs> you know? I thought that would be fun and awkward. But I didn't do that to you. But I will hold that name because uh, we want to have a special time next Sunday where we talk, talk about that. Oh, I guess you got to come back next week. 
Same bat channel, same bat station, right? We'll be here. There you go. So and let's transition, let's move, because I want to talk about a practice, a practice that is vitally important for the health of a church. This is an essential practice if a church is going to be faithful to the scriptures and healthy as an organization. This is a practice that's not the only practice a church needs to worry about, but it is an essential practice for it to be healthy. If you look from when the church started after the resurrection of Jesus Christ all the way up to now, this practice has been exhibited by all the healthy churches in that era, in that time span, from all the way from the resurrection of Jesus Christ all the way to us. Now, again, it's not the only thing that's important, but this practice is essential for a church to be healthy. And here's the tricky thing about this practice This is one of those practices that we don't notice sometimes when it stops. And it's very easy for it to stop. It's kind of subtle when it stops. And it's really hard to start up again when it stops. When a church, and we use this language even here at Sunrise, when a church is going through kind of the life cycles... If you think of like spring is a time of growth, summer is a time of kind of harvest where things are going really, really well, fall is where maybe you're losing momentum and then you get into kind of winter. You think of it as kind of a life cycle or a bell curve, right? I know you're like, Paul, you said there wasn't going to be school. Okay, I know that. Let me use seasons, okay? Usually when a church is getting into fall or is approaching winter, it's because they've missed this practice and nobody has noticed it. It has just gone away. And nobody realizes it. Nobody gripes about it. Nobody notices that it ends. And it is really hard. I would say in my experience, in my experience, in doing church for almost, as a leader for almost two decades, in my experience, this is so incredibly hard to start up again once it's stopped. Now here's the really interesting about this practice is it's incredibly inexpensive. It really costs you hardly anything. And it can be done by the young, and it can be done by the old. So now you may be thinking, now wait a second. If it is inexpensive, if it can be done by the young and the old, and it's essential for a church to be healthy, well then why don't we do it? Here's why I think we don't do it. Fear. Fear is why we don't do it. In fact, if you were going to ask me, Paul, why don't you do this? I would tell you, fear. Fear is why I don't do this. Now, the practice I'm talking about is sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And sharing that message, not the pastor sharing that message, but the people of the church sharing that message. That is the essential practice that I'm talking about. And I'll tell you, it's very easy. It's very easy not to notice when this practice dies in a church. When people just stop doing it. The things we tend to notice are when the carpet color changes. Or the lights change. Or the music gets a little louder. Or the the jokes aren't as funny. Ouch. I know. That hurt that you laughed at that a little bit. You're like, yeah, that's true of our church, Pastor Paul. Right? But we don't notice when people stop sharing the gospel with their friends and family members. And once we lose that practice, I'll tell you what, man. It is so hard to turn that around. It is a deep dark winter we get into spiritually when we stop doing that and it is hard to get out of it and I think the reason why we tend to shrink back from those opportunities is because of fear 
It's fear that will be confusing. We're going to say the wrong words. It's fear that we're going to be rejected. They're going to disagree with us and then distance themselves from us because we've hurt them somehow. And I have to tell you, honestly, that is my fear. If that's you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are afraid of sharing the gospel, no, you're in good company because I'm there with you. I mean, I have 20 years of ministry experience, 10 years of theological education, and I still get afraid that I'm going to say the wrong thing the wrong way, and they're not going to listen. They're going to reject, and there's going to be distance between me and them because I did something wrong. But there's a point and a principle that I think we need to keep in mind that could speak to that fear. Speak to that fear directly and unleash in us a passion and a boldness to share the gospel. And that's this. We need to realize that when we have a conversation about Jesus, when we have a conversation about the gospel, we have a conversation about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, it's not just two people having the conversation. It's not just me and my friend Steve. The God of the universe is in that conversation. If you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. This is the big idea for today. The big idea is this. God is in the conversation. God is in the conversation. Crazy thing is I wrote this message, and it was finished probably three or four days ago, and I had this opportunity, man. It was so crazy. I just I love how God does this. And I was having a conversation with a friend. And in that moment, God totally opened up this door to share the gospel. And as this friend was talking, this big idea came to my head. I was like, God is in the conversation right now. Like, God is moving. I didn't even initiate it. I didn't even open the door. The door just came. The door opened. And I was like, okay, here we go. And I get to share the gospel. And it was so exciting. It's reminded me, God, you are in the conversation. You are in the room. The almighty, powerful God of the universe who is on a mission to share his love with the world is in your conversation. That speaks directly to any fears we may have about sharing the gospel. I want to show you this in Acts chapter 2. Show you how God showed up in a powerful way to show his church from the very beginning of their movement that he was going to be a part of the conversation. We're going to jump to that passage and then I'm going to do this. And it's going to be a different Sunday. Not just because of the whiteboard because here's what we're going to do. I said last week that we were going to have a finger licking good sermon. And what that meant was is we're going to have to lick our fingers to flip all the Bible pages, okay? Well, buckle up, buttercup, because we are going to move fast, okay? So you might get a blister on your finger or a paper cut. That's okay. Raise your hand. A deacon will come by and administer first aid. We are prepared for your, and even if you get a blister scrolling, you know, that happens. You know, swiping and doing all that stuff. We're there for you. But we're going to move a lot. And here's why we're going to move a lot. I want to show you that God is on the move. That God is not a static God, but a dynamic God. And he's on a movement to spread his love around the world. That's been his move from the very beginning of creation all the way up till now. And at the birth of the church, he screened that out to us. And he still says to us, I'm on the move and I'm in your conversations. So don't be afraid. All right. Let me show you this. Acts chapter 2. We're going to move a lot. I hope you don't mind reading the scriptures because we were reading a lot of scriptures. Okay. Acts chapter two, starting with verse one. This is kind of the story we're going with in the writings of Luke, how the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way at the inception of what we call the New Testament church. So Acts chapter two, verse one says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all gathered in one place. This is the 120 that were in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. They're gathered in one place. There's a feast called Pentecost. This is a harvest festival on the Jewish calendar. There were many high holy days on the Jewish calendar, and this one was the most popular. And the reason is because it was so easy to travel during this time of the year. So travel was easy. They didn't have to worry about storms and different things. This was a perfect time for them to move. Travel agents had an easy time booking flights to Jerusalem during this time. So a lot of travelers were coming in and they're looking for and they're celebrating the harvest, a new work, right? New fruit that God is bringing. So all of these Jews that are scattered throughout the regions around Palestine are coming together and 120 of Jesus' earliest followers are waiting, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come because that's what Jesus told them to do. He's already died. He already rose again. He ascended to the Father and now his church is waiting waiting for the gift that Jesus promised to give them. Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you can put in the English word, Language when you see the word tongue, right? His same idea. They're speaking in languages, other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now Luke is doing a little bit of exaggeration here, but what he's trying to tell us is, is as far as you can think, as the first century mind would think about what are the ends of the earth, there are Jews from all over these places around Palestine who are coming for the Pentecost festival. Now, why are these Jews scattered? That's very, that's very important for us to, to understand in the kind of the history of God's people. See, what happened is God called his people to a specific land, the land of Canaan. It became the land of Israel. The land of Israel, they had a civil war, and the north broke away from the south. They broke away from each other. And then the northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom would fall soon after and was taken away by the Babylonians. And they were what's called exiled. So they were spread out throughout the nations. So that's why there are people and Jews so far spread out. It's because these are Jews that are ancestors of the exiles. That happened hundreds of years ago when the people of God lost their land because of their sin. But they still want to be faithful to God's rules and regulations and God's calendar. So they come to the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And as they're celebrating this festival, these guys hear this ruckus that's going around. This mighty wind, I don't know what that means, it, a tornado or something like that. Something dynamic is happening. And then this group of 120 followers now have flames over their head. And they are speaking languages that they don't necessarily know, or at least not native to them. Something dynamic is happening. Look at how the crowd responds. This crowd that was gathered from all these regions around Palestine. Verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed, and they were astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, what are they saying there? They're saying, Hold on. These guys should not be speaking that tongue. That's not native to them. Why are they speaking the tongue of our region, 
Now, as Jews in dispersion and Jews in exiles or ancestors of these exilic Jews, the ones who were scattered because of the Babylonian exile and the Assyrian exile, the reason why they're saying these things is because these are multilingual people. You have to know this. And so they're looking at these guys saying, hold on, your regional dialect is this. Ours is this. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have a common language which would be Aramaic or Greek, kind of a unifying language of the entire region. So you'd have towns and villages that would speak one language, but the kind of broader context would speak Greek, and the Jews especially would speak Aramaic. So these guys right here are hearing this language and thinking, why are these guys doing this? Why is this happening? Now here, it's very important for us to know this fact. This didn't need to happen. This miracle wasn't necessary. It's not like these visitors from faraway lands needed a translator. They didn't. They were a multilingual people. That's how they knew the Galileans were speaking a wrong tongue. And then if you look down in your Bible, just like 10 verses down, Peter delivers a sermon to this crowd and he speaks it in one language. So why is God speaking the languages of these specific regions if he doesn't need to why would he do that Peter preached in one language to these people so he must have understood that they could speak a common tongue he probably preached it in Aramaic so why would God show up in this way let's continue to just kind of look at their shock and their amazement verse 7 and they were amazed and astonished saying are not all these who are speaking Galileans and how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native tongue the tongue of our region. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Forest Grove, Pamphylia, Egypt. I just want to see if you were listening. And they speak a different language in Forest Grove. Just kidding. You're like, what does that mean? It means nothing. Okay, Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and uh, Arabians, who hear them telling in their own tongue the mighty works of God. Why is God doing this? If you don't need a translator, why are you doing this? Here's where I think God is doing this. I think God is doing this because he is showing that he is in this conversation. That what this church is giving witness to, the mighty works of God, which is speaking of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is saying, I'm behind this. This is not just a movement of men. This isn't just authored by these apostles. It's just not crafted by these followers. No, I'm behind this. I'm in this. In fact, I'm going to show up in an amazing way. I'm going to bring a wind that's going to amaze people. I'm going to throw fire over the followers of Jesus Christ and put it right over their head. And then I'm going to do something with their tongue that they can't even comprehend i'm going to speak languages to these people their specific language of their region so they know that i'm thinking of them i am in this movement i am validating this witness god is on the move and he is showing this young church that he is on the move that he has a mission and it's to spread his love to the nations and i want to show you this I want to show you how this moment of Pentecost is a culminating moment of the movement of God that started from the beginning of creation. That God has always been on the move. 
that God has always had this trajectory of filling the earth with followers of him. Always been on the move to expand his love across the globe. And this was just another moment he was showing his church, this is where I'm going. And if you're with me, I'm showing up. I'm in those conversations because that is my mission. That is my movement. Let me show you this. We're going to go all the way to Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. And we're going to Genesis chapter 1. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no. If we're starting there, yeah, I hope you brought a sack lunch today. (laughs) Just kidding, okay? We might skip a couple books. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And here's what I want you to think of. God's movement. Where is God's going? What is God's mission? And I told you God's mission is to spread his love across the globe. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's hungry for. That's what that whole event of Pentecost was about. God saying, I'm in this movement and these people witness to me and I'm going to bring this movement across the globe. This is exactly what God had in mind when he started mankind. Look at this. Look what he says to Adam and Eve. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, what happens sometimes is we read this passage and we think, okay, God wanted fellowship with Adam and Eve, so he made this place. The place was called the Garden of Eden. And God said, stay put and hang out with me. That's not what he said. His command was what? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the what? Earth. God wasn't saying, stay in the garden, stay within the confines, don't go outside. That's not what he was saying. Here's what he was saying. This sacred space that is the garden, I want you to push its boundaries to encompass the entire globe. I want you to push out the garden because I want my glory to cover this globe like the waters cover the sea. God showed us from the very beginning that he wanted what? Global worship. He wanted his love across the globe. So he tells Adam and Eve, man, you fill this thing and you expand the garden. You push the boundaries. Don't stay put. Go out. Go out and share my love. Manifest my love. That intimacy with me would be across the globe. Now, sadly, Adam and Eve mess this up. They mess up. They sin. They go away from God's guidelines. Disappointment. But God's not done. God's not off the mission. God decides to keep that work going. Let me show you this. This is in Genesis chapter 2. I know you might be a little discouraged by the pace. You're like, Paul, we only jumped 11 chapters. Okay, the next one might be a slight bit bigger. Look at this. Sorry, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. God calls this guy named Abram. He's going to later change his name to Abraham. Again, I want you to see that he is picking this guy out. Why? For a purpose. Because God has a mission. God is on a movement. He wants to show his love around the globe. Look at this, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Now sometimes we stop here, just like we did with the garden, and we say, Oh, look, God is being selective. God is narrowing his love and his affection to this man, Abraham, who will become the father of the nation of Israel. So God is picking out a people to be special to him, and he's really discarding the rest. That's not what he's doing. This is not God narrowing his affection. This is God channeling his affection. He's saying the world is still my goal. 
the peoples of all tribes, tongues, and nations, that's still my goal. But I'm going to get there through Abraham and through his generations, through the people of Israel. Like, look how he makes this clear in the very beginning when he spoke to Abraham. Go back again to verse 2. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. So that, what does that mean? That's the purpose. I go to the store so that I can buy mayonnaise, which I forgot to buy and was out of and made bad sandwiches. My, my wife was gone at camp. That's just a confession of a father. When the mom goes away, the kids are fed and they're alive. I just need you to know that. All four of my kids are fed and alive. Don't look at the house, honey, when you come back from camp, please. Okay, she's not going to hear this message anyways. But what's that point right there? So that it gives purpose. Why is God doing this? I went to the store so that I can get mayonnaise. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Why? So that you will be a what? A blessing. I'm not just doing this for you. I'm doing this for more. And what's the larger audience of the promise given to Abraham? I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Who is God going after? The world still. God is on a mission. God is going to do it. God is going to move forward. Moses, the great leader, as the people of God expand, Abraham's family gets so large, they become the nation of Israel. They're on the precipice of the promised land. They're about to go in, into the land of Canaan, into the land of promise. And Moses says, hey, man, before you get in there, and I've given you all these rules and all these laws, he reminds them of the mission that God had from the very beginning of creation. Look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6. Think again. What is God doing? He's on the move to spread his love around the globe. Verse 6. Keep them. He's talking about all the laws. Do them. This is Moses to the people. For that, you will be, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who's he talking about? The nations. The surrounding nations. We'll see. Who then, when they hear... All these statutes will say, surely this great nation is wise and or is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that God, that a God is so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what nation, and what great nation is there that his statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Here's what Moses is reminding him of. People, Nation, you're going to prosper, and you're going to be in a fishbowl. You're going to be a fishbowl, and all the surrounding nations are going to see the wisdom of your rules and your laws and your commands, and they're going to say, what understanding these people have. What a wonderful God they have. Do you still see it? The whole reason they're going to prosper is so that there would be a witness to the nations because God's plan is what? Go to the nations. Fill the earth with my glory. Now, sadly... Just like Adam and Eve, Israel messes up big time in a big way. They have this civil war. They break from northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is taken away by the Assyrians. Southern kingdom is taken away by the Babylonians. They lose the land. They lose being a witness. They get off the mission of expanding God's global love across the world. But God's plan is not frustrated. No. At this point, what God does is he introduces the true hero, the only one who can fulfill God's global plan of expressing his love to his creation. 
and that's Jesus Christ. And Isaiah the prophet talks about this hero. And look at what he says. And I want you to think of this passage in light of what we read in Acts chapter 2. When we had all these nations, all these Jews, sorry, coming from separate nations, the Jews were being called back to their land. They were given the message of the mighty works of God, which is, has to be the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the first century followers just witnessed. So they come back to this land. They hear this great news in their own tongue, showing them that God is on the move again. So go to Isaiah chapter 49. Verse 5, and I want you to think of what was happening in Acts chapter 2 and think of all the movement that we've been going since Genesis chapter 1. Here's the hero to finally do the mission of God perfectly. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5 says this, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Jacob is a shorthand for the people of Israel. And that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. And my God has become my strength. What is he saying? This servant will bring the Jews back from the lands where they were exiled. But that's not enough. I love it. Like Isaiah is one of my favorite prophets to read. I think he's a great preacher. I do. I think he's entertaining. His, his hyperbole is awesome. His kind of illustrations are great. His, his contrasts are great. And I love how he sets this up. Look what he says in this next phrase, verse 6. Is it too light a thing? Or sorry, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Okay, this makes me laugh. It makes me laugh because no one has done this. No one has done this. They've had people come and say, here I am, and, and hopes have been attached to them of like, you're the one to bring us back into a place of prominence. You're the one who will restore Israel's fortune. You're the one who will bring us back in a place where we flourish under the presence of God. You're going to be our hope. And nobody has fulfilled those expectations. And Isaiah writes this prophecy, and he says, oh, it's too light of a thing. Think about that. He's saying what nobody has done, oh, that's just too light. Because this hero is so strong, he could do what nobody's ever done. And he can go even beyond that. He goes beyond that and he completes the mission of God from the very beginning, which wasn't just about the people of Israel. It was about the nations. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. It was about global worship from the beginning. And look at how this service, servant does it. He says, to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This hero is going to do it. He's going to accomplish it. And who is this hero? It's Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew. This, we made a big jump this time. Matthew chapter 28, the resurrected Jesus Christ hanging out with his disciples before he ascends, one of the last things he says to his people. Now think about, again, the whole trajectory of the Bible from Genesis 1 all the way up here, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 12, Deuteronomy 4 to Isaiah 49, and now we get to this moment, and Jesus says, I'm that hero. I'm the one. I am the new Adam. I am the new Israel. I am the hero. I am the servant. I am the Messiah. I am the one to bring God's global love to the nations. This is what he says to his first century followers. Go therefore, make disciples. Of who? 
of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Wow, that's a big assignment. You want me to share the gospel? You want me to share the gospel, the good news of your death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins? But I'm afraid. I don't want to do it. I'm kind of scared. What if I mess it up? What does Jesus say to that? The last thing he says to his disciples is this promise. I am with you always. Are you alone? No. No. The hero is in the room with you. The hero is on the phone with you. The hero is in that text thread with you. The one who can not only bring back all the tribes of Israel and gather them together to hear the good news of his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, but the one who has said, I'm going to carry out this mission globally. In fact, I'll be right there next to you. How, Jesus? Because right after that, he leaves them bodily. How does he do it? The Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse, hold on, I'm getting there, I'm in Luke. Talk amongst yourselves. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, look what Jesus says. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Their focus is still narrowed. Right? Jesus says, man, you're distracted here. Let's have focus. Here's what I'm up to. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. The Lord is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is how I'm going to be with you, always, to the end of the age. And what's going to happen when I give you the Spirit? You're not going to sit there and twiddle your thumbs. You're not going to stay put in the garden of your intimacy and your devotion with God only. What are you going to do? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to what? The end of the earth. And then... Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, is a culmination of this entire movement that's been building since Genesis chapter 1. All the way up here, God is saying, I'm on a mission. I am moving. I am dynamic. I have a purpose. I have a trajectory. I have a goal. And that's global worship. And I've been doing that since the beginning. And I'm moving and moving and moving. And finally, my hero, the Son of God is here, who can accomplish this act And I will put his spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, into my followers. So they'll go on mission with me. And I am not leaving them alone, but well equipped and empowered to do this work of bringing my love to the nations. Church, family, don't be afraid. God is in the conversation. God is in the room. Think about it. Like the the omnipotent creator of the universe There are things that God has done in this universe that we haven't even seen. Beyond our observation of the universe, there are things in galaxies far, far away that he has done that we don't even know of. There are depths of our oceans that we haven't explored, but he is intimately aware of what those living creatures are. That omnipotent God who knows that much who loves his creation and loves humanity and wants to see humanity come to a saving relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, he is in your conversation. So you don't have to be afraid. Friend, it doesn't matter about how persuasive your speech is or how precise your arguments are. Just share the gospel and let God be God. I don't know, maybe the creator of the cosmos can do something with this person's heart. 
<laughs> right? The one who can like lasso a black hole and bring it into place. Maybe he can do something in your friend's heart. So, so here's my question. Okay. Okay. If God is in the conversation, if God is in the room, if God is in the text thread, then how do I share the gospel? I want to show you. I'm going to get really practical. This is why the whiteboard's here. I want to show you. I have done this presentation with kids, elementary school kids and adults. It's my favorite way to share the gospel. There are many tools, by the way. There are many tools to share the gospel. This just happens to be my favorite. Some of it may look familiar to you. I've taken like three or four tools that other people created. I threw them together and I just made the language a lot simpler. Why? Because I'm a simple guy. And so I want to show you. Thank you for that, I guess. <laughs> Amen. You are simple. Wow. And sharply dressed. You know what? I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. So I want to show you how you can share the gospel. If you take notes, if you take notes, you can share that. You can use this tool. And I know you can do it. I, I, I just had a little girl first service. She took notes. She did way better than me. And she spelled all the words probably better than I did too. Right? So she did a great job. She could do it. You can do it. All right, so let me show you. It's really simple. Three circles, three letters. Three circles, three letters. Okay, I like to make it simple. I tell my wife, if you give me a list of more than three things, you better text it to me. Because I'm going to go to the grocery store, and guess what you're going to get? Three things. Which three things? I don't know. Because that's all I can remember is three. So three circles, three letters. Okay, you ready? First circle is this. First circle starts with beauty. The world has beauty in it because God is its creator. By God's design, there is beauty in this universe. There's beauty in your life. You see it in conversations. You see it in romance. You see it in kindness. You see it in love. You see it in, in care and thoughtfulness. There's so much beauty in this world. And that beauty is tied to God's wonderful design. But we all know there's something else as well. There's not just beauty, and that's the second circle. There's brokenness. And we all know this. We all experience this. Just like we see God's beauty every day, we feel brokenness every day. Brokenness is when we hurt people or people hurt us. We see brokenness in divorce. We see it in abuse. We, we see it in, in just being unkind and uncaring. We see it in ourselves and we see it in others. And we've moved from wonderful beauty to brokenness. And the Bible says this move has happened because of this thing called Sin. Sin has caused this. The scriptures make it very clear that we've all done it, and it messes us all up. If you need scripture passage, look right there. Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. We've all sinned, and that sin, the wages of that sin is death. It's brokenness, and we experience it. And all of us have this in our story. All of us could admit, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, no matter where you are with Jesus or church or anything like that, we all have these elements in our story. We know that. We know there's beauty. We know there's brokenness. And we're all trying to get out of it. We're all trying to bounce out of this brokenness. All of us are. But here's the problem. Whether it's self-improvement, religion, or sometimes addiction, we're all trying to break out or numb ourselves from it. Every time we get out, we can go back in. It's like a bungee cord. And we just get in this cycle of I'm out of the brokenness, I'm back in the brokenness. I'm out of the brokenness, I'm back into the brokenness. And here's the story of the scriptures. We can't get out of the brokenness on our own. But God showed up. That's the third circle. And that circle is called gospel which means 
good news. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ came down, he died on a cross, and he rose again. Jesus Christ died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sin. Well, how do we get there? How do we move from brokenness to the gospel? How do we do it? I said three circles, one, two, three, three letters. A, B, C. How do we respond to the gospel? A, we admit we're sinners. Right here, I've done this, I've done this. I've been hurt and I've hurt. I admit that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for the forgiveness of my sins and I confess him as the Lord of my life. If you want another verse, Romans 10, 9. And what does that mean? What happens to me now? Here's the beauty. Now I can get back to that first circle because something starts to happen. Change starts to happen. God starts changing me and I start changing. If you want another verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old is gone, the new has come. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Right there. There's the story. There's the story. In five minutes, you can share the whole story of the Bible. In five minutes, you can share the, what Jesus was all about. In five minutes, you can put yourself in that story. You can share your witness right there. Three circles, three letters. Now, somebody first service said, yeah, but there's a lot more words. I know, I kind of cheated. But I think if I get you to remember three circles, you could probably put those words in there. You can get the movements from them. And these are the three letters that are most important. Because when somebody sees this and says, I want this, you need to know how do you get them there. A, B, C. Admit, believe it, and confess. Here's my challenge to you, church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's, what, here's my challenge to you. Share this with one person this year. Just one person. I know you have a friend or a family member. One person that could take just five minutes of an explanation. I know you have relationships where you could just start and say, hey, hey man, you know I'm a, you know I'm a Christian, right? Or you know I go to church. Man, can I share with you just in five minutes what my faith is all about? Or can I share with you just five minutes of what I think Jesus was all about? Can I share with you just five minutes of what I think Christianity is all about? I have written this on napkins. I've actually tried to do this. I was teaching at a camp one time, and I shared the gospel in this way in a lake. Literally, I was standing waist deep, and I was drawing circles. I don't know if that worked, but I still did it. You will be surprised. Make it simple, make it clear, and let God be God. Because he is in that conversation. Imagine church family. Imagine sunrise. Imagine if every single follower of Jesus Christ that goes to sunrise shared this with one friend or family member this year. Imagine what that would do. Right? Maybe that uncle you've been praying for for years, maybe he comes to know the Lord. Right? Maybe that distant cousin, she comes to know the Lord because you just shared the gospel. You just shared the story. Let God be God. Maybe it's the year where your kids come to know the Lord or your parents come to know the Lord, your siblings come to know the Lord. I don't know. If we all did this, what would happen? I don't know. I don't know because I've never seen a church do it. I've never seen a church catch fire like that where every follower of Christ says, I'm on mission with the God of the universe 
to share his global love. And I think the biggest reason that gets in our way is fear. And if we can hold on to that truth, God is in this conversation. I don't think we'll be bashful. I think we'll be bold. I don't think we'll be anxious. I think we'll be clear. I think we'll be clear. We'll be empathetic. We'll be loving. We'll be kind. And who knows what God does. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we believe that you are on a mission. You are on a mission to spread your love across the globe. And Father, I want to be on that mission, man. I want to be running with you. I don't want to be running any other direction. I don't want to be about any other goals, any other purpose, any of that stuff. Father, let us never be a church that gets distracted. Distracted by the color of the lights on the stage or the volume of the music or the humor of the jokes. Father, let us not be critical of those things. Let's push that stuff away. There's something so much more important. And that is that your love would be shared with those around the world. That's what you want. That's what I want. Father, let us not veer off track. Let us not get off the mission. Would you find Sunrise Church filled with faithful followers who are fearless in giving the gospel? Not trying to be jerks, not trying to be rude, but sharing a message of hope and love that has changed our lives. Make us contagious Christians. Father, move in our hearts. Help us. And we know, Holy Spirit, you're in the room with us. And I should admit, I confess right now, Holy Spirit, I forget that. And I'm sorry. I know you're powerful. I know you are. And I'm sorry that I doubt you. I'm sorry that I do. I'm sorry that I get afraid. I'm sorry that I get bashful. I thank you. You've been there in those moments. You've been there in those moments where I took a step. You've been there. Holy Spirit, would you, man, this week, this month, the rest of this year, I pray we would just have hundreds, thousands even, of conversations where you're in them, where you're in them, and you're moving. I know you're on mission. I want to be with you. I want to be on mission with you. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our fear. Speak into it. Speak into it. And change us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.